0: Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly.
2: Ace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks.
1: At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores.
3: The Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper, Nick Whalen, getting ready for week 11. Of the fantasy football season, uh, if you like this podcast, well, thank you. Uh, if you have a moment to leave us a rating and review, we would greatly appreciate that. iTunes, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on, those reviews. Well, I, are I think all we're good.
4: generally curious, like why do you like this podcast? Like we don't just want the review; I just I'm, I generally want to know why do you like
3: it. I I actually do too. So if you if you not only leave a rating but actually leave a review, like I like this about your podcast, like that would make me better understand. Why anybody listens right
4: now? It's just very confusing.
3: Nothing about this makes any sense. Uh, Let's just dive right into this Thursday uh, game. We've got the Saints and Panthers, actually, a good Thursday matchup. Carolina still in uh, backs against the wall mode, I think we'd call it, where they they pretty much have to win out or maybe go uh, six and one the rest of the way to make the playoffs. So their margin for error uh, is pretty small. They're three and a half point favorites. Uh, Over-under in this one is 52, so it's actually one of the higher-scoring games on the board for Week 11. Uh, I was talking about this game earlier with the 120 sports crew on the morning run, and it's a game where you feel pretty good about everybody that you would typically play. I mean, Kelvin Benjamin's in a good spot. I even like Jonathan Stewart. I think for people who own him, he's typically an RB2 or a flex. This is a nice matchup for him. Uh, New Orleans is the third most generous defense to opposing running backs as far as fantasy points allowed this season. I think the only players I'm I'm worried about are all on the New Orleans side and the backfield with Ingram and Hightower, I think Sean Payton is smart enough to start going away from Hightower. I'm not certain of it, but I at least feel like if you're going to play Ingram this week, you're going to get 15 plus carries. Uh, Hightower hopefully gets less than that. And then you look at the receiving core after fumbling twice, two very costly lost fumbles Does the rookie Michael Thomas see fewer targets in the passing game this week? I think those are the main questions I'm looking at with the Saints.
4: I I don't know. It's hard for me to say he would see fewer targets. You know, I I don't know if Drew Brees, you know, is going through his progressions and saying Michael Thomas is wide open for a 30 yard gain, but he might fumble it. You know, I think if anything, it's like maybe he's just not on the field quite as much because they don't trust him. Um, But yeah, he was. He was the lowest rated receiver. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus and all of Week 10 and obviously the two lost two fumbles. Two lost a huge, fumbles. Yeah,
3: I don't know their formula. They, they won't share it with right. me. It's obviously proprietary, but mm-hmm. I assume that losing two fumbles is uh, something that buries right. you near the bottom of One any position in any given week.
4: Yeah, so I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily knock Michael Thomas all that much from a you know Drew Brees avoiding him standpoint, but you know they have other options certainly in this in this receiving game. So maybe he's not on the field quite as much. Obviously, those two fumbles probably cost him the game against Denver. I mean, it was a two point loss, kind of a bizarre scenario unfolding at the end, uh, allowing Denver to get that win. But New Orleans really controlled this game for you know at least f- probably five six of it. Five six. Five six. That was the first fraction that came to mind.
3: You have a weird mind. Uh, Devin Funches, I think, is kind of interesting in this matchup too, because the Saints, you know, they're not a good defense at all. And if, if Funches is gonna have a game where he's useful, it would be a matchup against New Orleans. Two uh two catches, twenty-eight yards, and a score on six targets in their first meeting. Also had three for fifty-six and a score on four targets against the Chiefs last week. So could be a little window for Devin Funches to be useful uh, in very deep leagues where you might be scrambling for that last receiver as a result of week 11 buys as far as how you expect this game to play out i mean do you think the saints can get the win on the road or do you see carolina holding serve at home and covering that three and a half
4: i mean nothing's really changed for me with carolina where every week i think they can beat just about anyone i mean they can beat probably 27 teams in the league any week but they've also shown that they can lose to anybody or they can keep bad teams in games i mean it looked like a great matchup for them in L.A. two weeks ago, they only win that game by three. You know They're up big. They're dominating defensively against Kansas City last week and just found a way uh, to, to throw that game away, really, or fumble that game away at the end. So this isn't the complete Carolina team from a year ago or even two years ago. Uh, they can lose to anybody, but I still think that potential is there. You know, like As I go through and, and pick games each week for various pools or what have you, the Panthers are that one team that I never feel good about really either way. Actually, I shouldn't say they're that one team. They're one of, like, 20 teams that I don't feel good about either way.
3: This is why you don't spend a lot of time in sports books. I will take Carolina giving up the points. I think mm-hmm. they get it done. Uh, I think the short week favors them, mm-hmm. especially being the home team. And Vegas has been very patient with the Panthers all season long. Right. They tend to know uh, what they're doing. Let's move on to the Bucks and Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs, 7.5-point favorites at Arrowhead over under in this one at 44.5. Jameis Winston has been a pretty big disappointment this year. Mike Evans has been even better than some expected. I think he would go in the first round if we were drafting today for the rest of the season or uh, even today for next season based on what he's been able to do in this offense. But going into Arrowhead and playing really well is something that maybe back in the beginning of the season I would have expected Jameis Winston to do. Based on what I've seen through the first 10 weeks of the season, I'm very pessimistic about Mm -hmm. that. I feel like Kansas City comes away with the win question is can they actually win by a TD I feel like they're the most underrated team in the AFC like every time we look at them we're thinking like oh it's Alex Smith and you know the defense is good not great how are they going to move the ball through the air Jeremy Macklin's still banged up he's not practicing today by the way so it's not looking great for him uh, for week 11 but ultimately I look at Kansas City as the better team and I think they actually will cover that seven and a half
4: it seems like they get into the spot Every year where they kind of, they lull you to sleep a little bit with a few games that they probably shouldn't lose. And all of a sudden, you know, you don't check for a few weeks and they've reeled off six wins in a row. I mean, they last won their last 10 games of the regular season last year. They've won five in a row now, six of their last seven. Um, and even last year, right around this time last year, week seven through 11, five game winning streak. I mean, they, they kind of seem to hit their stride right in the middle of the season. Of course, now they've had injuries at the quarterback position. Uh, We know about their injuries at the running back position. Jamal Charles uh, just had another knee scope, so that situation looks not great going forward. Um, But they've they've been able to win games with Nick Foles. Granted, those were against Indianapolis and Jacksonville, um, but but the Colts have looked more competent of late, and Jacksonville's defense at least has looked respectable these last couple weeks. Uh, So I think Kansas City's a really good team, but I have the same question you do. Can they win by 7.5 points? I don't know. I mean, they they tend to just kind of grind out these wins, and they're not a team that you ever think is going to pile up a ton of points. We know they don't air the ball out all that much. Jeremy Macklin's been banged up. Um, I think Tampa Bay is good enough offensively that they can make a couple mistakes. I don't know that the Chiefs are a team that can capitalize on those mistakes with touchdowns, and... And Tampa Bay can score with anybody, you know. A quick strike offense with Jameis, you know, he he does take a lot of chances. But when you have a receiver like Mike Evans, who can kind of go up and, and mitigate the risk on some of those fifty-fifty balls, um, I think Tampa Bay keeps us close. I think they lose on the road, uh, but I think they keep it within a score.
3: So you're going to go ahead and take uh, the Bucks and the seven and a half. So we're on mm-hmm. opposite sides of this one. Uh, Arizona going on the road to Minnesota, who a few weeks ago looked good, and at this point, more injuries have piled up they can't run the ball, it's basically Stephon Diggs, Kyle Rudolph, and a good defense. And I don't think that's going to be enough to beat Arizona. And I know Arizona's got flaws, but when you look at the way they're built, I think they have enough weapons offensively, and they have a smart enough head coach where they're going to find some ways to break the Vikings down. Over-under is only 40 in this game. I'd expect to go a tick above that. I think 43-44 is a more reasonable expectation. I think we're going to see maybe like a 24-20 or 24-17 game yeah. in favor of Arizona.
4: Yeah, I think the Cardinals win at Minnesota. I mean, were they just were they just kind of smoke screening us through the first few weeks? I mean, it wasn't like they were just, you know, pulling these games out of nowhere. I mean, they were dominating teams. And, you know, maybe we look back on that win over the Green Bay and that win over the Panthers and think like, OK, those teams probably seemed better at the time. Um, but I mean, this is night and day as far as what we've seen the last three, four weeks from Minnesota compared to what we saw from the first uh, five weeks I mean four straight losses. Uh, the offense, you know, it got to 20 points for the first time in, in four weeks uh, last week against Washington and, and ended up blowing a big lead in that one. Uh, But, I mean, if you're Green Bay right now, you just got to be thankful that this has happened in Minnesota because Minnesota's had, you know, three, four weeks now in a row where they could be sitting comfortably atop this division with Green Bay playing the way that it is. Yeah, at Packer Thanksgiving,
3: I mean, Mike McCarthy cuts the turkey, and it probably takes a surprisingly long amount of time for him to get that done. Uh, Jeff Janis, of course, still sits at the kids' table because that's Mm -hmm. how they handle him. It's just one of those things where Minnesota... If they had been healthy, just like an average level of healthy from day one this season, I think they were legit. I think the defense can be that good. I think the problems they're having running the ball make them one-dimensional on offense. When they're one-dimensional, Sam Bradford is not good enough with Diggs and Rudolph to beat good defenses. And that's what's going to come back to bite Minnesota uh, as the stretch run approaches. And if they get to the playoffs, I think playoff caliber defenses especially – can shut them down mm-hmm. so unless they find a way to make that patchwork offensive line work I just don't see them running the ball well at all at this week or any time this season and I think that's going to be mm-hmm. their Achilles heel it's an, it's an unfortunate development too because I, I think Mike Zimmer is a good coach and I think that is a, a championship caliber defense that Minnesota has built but they have just right. had a terrible run of luck with injuries you know going back to Teddy Bridgewater and Adrian Peterson mm-hmm. uh, to begin the season
4: I mean, I think we said this on the Monday pod, the Vikings averaging the second fewest yards per carry as a team since the merger in 1970. Since I the mean, merger. Since the merger. I mean, you start have to bring, when you start bringing in the merger, uh, which like I, I, even as like a big football fan, like I have to admit I never really even knew like what the merger meant until you start looking into it. But you just know it's bad. Like when you say since the merger, you're just like, wow, that's a long time. So that's almost 50 years. Um, and part of that, of course, is the loss of Adrian Peterson, but this offensive line is in rough, rough shape.
3: Yeah, it uh, it is in dire straits right now. I have no confidence in Jarek McKinnon or Matt Asiata. The only thing I like about Asiata, he keeps getting short yardage carries. So if someone's yeah. going to get a rushing TD for Minnesota for now, it seems like uh, he's the guy who's going to be called upon. I'm going to take Arizona in this spot. I'm surprised this isn't really an even line based on Minnesota's uh, current form. So I'll take Arizona getting the two and a half. Uh, Cincinnati hosting Buffalo, minus two and a half are the Bengals and 47 and a half is the over under it's a bit higher than you'd expect Buffalo's defense uh has taken some steps forward since the beginning of the year when things looked really bad you think back to uh, week two Ryan Fitzpatrick just, carving just, just up. lit up the Buffalo defense and uh, naturally the Bills decided to fire their offensive coordinator after that happened but it somehow in a that weird actually, way, like,
4: Rex Ryan got killed for that but it, like, it actually kind of worked like obviously that decision probably didn't You know, have had 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 nothing to do with the defense, yeah. But like, weirdly enough, since then they've been kind of a night and day.
3: All it may have been is just the defense getting more time to work with Rex's brother Rob and Mm -hmm. to fit into the scheme and little things like that. I don't think, I don't think teams are a finished product in week one or week two. Like that's that's kind of obvious. Like teams take time to come together. So
4: other teams get worse as the season goes on. Yeah, I'm thinking of one maybe located in East Central Florida. Really. East yeah. Central, yeah, East Northeast Florida, I guess.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna
4: More like Northeast. I'm yeah. gonna check a map, but uh, no,
3: I, I think your, your point stands. It, it's it's <laughs> it's possible to go either direction over the course of the year. Your teams are waves; they're certainly not straight lines. Uh, as far as the Bengals go, you know AJ Green auto play every week. I like him in daily this week because I feel like there's a there's a perception that Buffalo's defense is above average. I think. They're just fine. Like you can put anybody out there against them. Like a good top number one receiver is going to do damage against the Bills. And the price for A.J. Green is a tick below the other top-end receiver. So I continue to gravitate towards him as I build out lineups. Uh the backfield continues to be a mess. I mean, Jeremy Hill, Gio Bernard still sharing carries the way they have in previous years, but we're not getting. The efficiency from Jeremy Hill that I would have expected I thought we could see numbers more in line with his rookie campaign instead He looks more like the player. He was last season
4: mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it that was evident against the Giants um, You know on primetime the other night 15 carries for 46 yards nothing longer than nine yards Gio Bernard, I mean didn't do a whole lot more either and seven for 17 uh, a long of seven Hill does seem to be the the short yardage back though in the red zone. So if you know if you've kind of had to choose between these two guys a lot, you know week to week or in daily, and I think you got to lean toward Hill. But at this point, you can't feel great about it.
3: The other thing I should point out too, if you look at the season yards per carry, it's four point seven, which is pretty good. It's close to what he did uh, back in in twenty fourteen. He had five point one yards per carry as a rookie. But you'll remember he had nine for one sixty eight against the Browns, yeah. and look look at the per-game averages over the course of the year. Against the Jets, 3.4 yards per carry. Against Pittsburgh, 2 Denver had a good game, 5.7. Then Miami, 3-4. Dallas, 3 New England, 2.9. The 18.7 against Cleveland. Again, it's almost
4: like the Browns' defense isn't that good.
3: Almost like the Browns' defense, yeah, has some it's holes. Uh, Washington, 3.8 yards per carry for Jeremy Hill. And then last week, against the Giants, 3.1. I, I think the efficiency for the season, is still skewed heavily by more or less one really long run, but one great game against Cleveland. So you have to really take that with the appropriate grain of salt if you're Mm -hmm. looking at the overall efficiency numbers. Uh, And he's still not catching passes because that's what Gio Bernard does in that offense. But do you look at Buffalo, Baltimore, Philadelphia, another matchup against the Browns? Do you look at that upcoming schedule and, and feel any sense of optimism with Hill?
4: I mean a little bit, I guess. Whenever you got, whenever you got get, Cleveland get the Browns the schedule, again, so. you got yeah, you gotta be like, hey, all right, Browns are coming up. That's nice. Um, I mean, I was gonna ask, like, is Cleveland out of this in the AFC? I mean, I, w- I shouldn't say maybe not out of it. Looking at the North, because you know, with, with Pittsburgh sitting at four and five and Baltimore at five and four, that's certainly a, a surmountable deficit. But they're not getting a wild card. I mean, it, both wild cards at this point look like they're coming out of the West. Um, and if if Cincinnati doesn't pick things up, I mean, I, I don't really see them returning to the playoffs. They've looked worse than both Baltimore and Pittsburgh to me. I mean, Pittsburgh feels kind of like a like a Seattle or an Arizona where like you know the pieces are there. You've seen them play really well. They've just had a couple tough losses, and they're you know they're not as bad as their record would indicate. Yeah, nine five
3: and one is probably the the best mm. case scenario, or nine six. I mean, and Cincinnati one.
4: could very very easily be you know five and four. They're um, a little bit like the
3: Carolina of the AFC, the team yeah. that I thought was actually pretty good coming into the season. They've underperformed.
4: Well, so you have the tie, you have like this loss last week, they very, very easily could have won.
3: I'm not quite ready to bury them, but of course, mathematically, yeah, the numbers are are not uh, in their favor. I think initially you said, is Cleveland out of it? And I'm like, yeah, I think at 0-10, then we can safely say they're not going to get us.
4: They're not going to get the wild card. They're not mathematically out. Well, they might be, are they? I'd love to
3: see the scenarios in which uh, the Browns beat the I playoffs. I think they might be mathematically out. Well, there's four teams in the conference that already have seven wins. Right. So technically, no, they're not all the way out of it because ties and just teams losing okay. out well, we'll, could we'll, happen. We'll cover that on the Cleveland Browns playoff scenario pod. Yeah, that's coming up on Sunday. So set your calendars for that. I don't know who's going to host that episode, though. Hopefully we can get you to do it. Yeah. Uh, as far as the Bills-Bengals go... I think the Bengals can cover the two and a half into the better team.
4: Buffalo's not bad, but they're not good either. It's a good way to put it. I, I feel better about Buffalo. Um, I mean, McCoy looked really good against Seattle a, a couple of weeks ago, you know, when I thought he was kind of 50 50 going in, and it ended up, you know, he ended up looking like vintage McCoy against a good D. Now coming off the bye, I think it's fair to expect McCoy to be back to close to 100%. So, I mean, the Bills have that going for him, but I mean, it took maybe the best, like, accuracy game of Tyrod Taylor's career, at least that I'd seen, to stay in a game with Seattle. Um, And this is a Seattle team that just beat New England. So, I mean, I think if there's such a thing as a good loss, that was one for... Uh, for Buffalo but I mean that was like as well as that team could play and you know I, I don't know if they have another game like that in them the rest of the year Tyrod Taylor's good I don't understand why there's this... he was making plays that he doesn't usually make he's not, I don't, I'm not out on Tyrod I love I Tyrod I've seen
3: him make nice throws all year and people are gonna say well he's got a 6.6 YPA look at his receiving core like yeah. he's working with well, you don't some, like Bob Woods some optimal parts um Bob Woods yeah I mean I like him almost as much as Robert Woods <laughs> Which, which player do you think is better, Bob Woods or Robert Woods? Probably
4: Robert Woods, Close who's, who's it, available right? on a lot of waiver wires right now.
3: And he's going to get targets. He is. Uh, I don't think Rex is serious about the Percy Harvin thing. I, I don't trust that. No. Do you have any reason to believe Percy Harvin is going to see more than six targets in any of the remaining but like, why games? Why would
4: you lie about that?
3: Because you're talking to the media, and I you're guess, an NFL like... coach, and you just say whatever you want to fill up time.
4: Yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they, it's like who else do they have? You know, that's the only the only way you could defend that is saying like, well, I guess you know, it's like unless you want to play, you know, just whip the ball around to Woods and and Goodwin a bunch. Like, they might not have another option.
3: Justin Hunter, Charles Clay, Nick O'Leary. Get yeah, well, when you got Nick O'Leary, get Nick O'Leary more involved. Let's talk Bears Giants Giants seven and a half point favorites. A popular survivor pick for this week uh, for those still hanging around here in week 11. Uh, Elshon Jeffrey, of course, is suspended four games, so we'll see more Cameron Meredith. At least we expect to see more Cameron Meredith. Uh, the thing about Meredith, though, that trips me up is that the two big games he had came with Brian Hoyer, and I just don't know if he has that same rapport with Jay Cutler. So while his value has to be up... We're still talking about a player that's had, I think, two targets in each of the last three games. So maybe he goes from two to six, two to seven, or eight. But yeah, I, I can't, I, I can't necessarily just pencil him in for twelve to right. fifteen targets again.
4: Yeah, but with Jeffrey out, obviously you kind of redistribute those. But you know, like you said, when you lose an elite quarterback like Hoyer and, and go to and go to Cutler, obviously there's a drop off there. And yeah, I would be much more encouraged if these last few weeks he was hovering even at like four targets or like you know ideally seven, eight, you know, there's, there's targets available here. It's not like Alshon Jeffries soaking up 25 targets a game. Uh, and the fact that Meredith hasn't been able to get over two, uh, in each of the last three games, like you said, is certainly concerning. So yeah, I think it's a little bit, maybe over optimistic to assume that he'll, you know, make a ten target leap without Jeffrey, but at the same time, those targets have to go somewhere. They're not just going to stop throwing the ball.
3: Good news for Jordan Howard owners, he fully practiced on Wednesday, so the ankle Achilles problem that he may have had coming out of that game Sunday uh, appears to be a non issue. But I think it's Meredith, it's Eddie Royal, it's Marcus Wilson, Zach Miller. Everybody's going to pick up the slack for Jeffrey. I just think Meredith gets the the largest share of the available targets in Jeffrey's absence, more of like a wide receiver three, maybe the first guy in off the bench though, if you pick him up in leagues where he is available, Uh, as far as the line goes, I don't ever want to pick the bears, especially on the road. So I'll I'll take the giants seven and a half is a big number for them because you catch a day where Eli's a little off McAdoo uh, insists on running the ball when the team can't like those things could really make this game closer than it should be. But I'll, very reluctantly take the Giants,
4: you almost worry that the fact that they were able to run the ball last week now makes them think that they can going forward, um, and by running the ball you know they got o- barely over one hundred and twenty yards, which for the Giants is the equivalent of you know running for like three hundred fifty uh, but you know Rashad Jennings finally got things going Paul Perkins I, people still think Paul Perkins like, looks the best of the running backs right I mean the numbers obviously last week said Jennings was the better. Uh, option, but I think there's still that belief that at some point they're gonna, you know, quote unquote, unleash Paul Perkins, you know, whatever that means by his standards. All right, so let's move on to the next game on the slate: Steelers
3: on the road taking on Cleveland. The Browns are eight point underdogs. It's a weird number; you don't see the the plus eight on the board very often. Just give me Pittsburgh. I, I think we we found out that Sammy Coates' limited role this past week was a result of having two broken fingers. Yep. So extra information we didn't previously have. That's why we saw so much Kobe Hamilton. I like Sammy Coates a lot, but if he's not healthy, it's clear he's not getting on the field much. So I think Coates is droppable, unfortunately, for the time being. Uh, what do you make of the Steelers in this matchup? Because I'm, I'm surprised they're not favored by more. Eight seems too small yeah. for a Pittsburgh team at 4-5 and that really needs to win. Uh, had the, the really close loss to Dallas. They have lost four in a row.
4: Right. So, and so that's the thing is like – You know, it's hard to argue maybe when they've lost four in a row, but they've looked pretty good. Like, they looked really, like, Dallas is just a really great team right now. And Pittsburgh stayed right with them stride for stride. I I don't know that you should necessarily punish them for that. Uh, But at the same time, I mean, Cleveland, as we've harped on over and over, isn't your typical 0 10 team. Um, You know, with the talent that they have, especially on the offensive side of the ball, like, they're not just out there clowning around for four quarters. No, they're not
3: your grandpa's 0 10 team.
4: I mean, Uh, your slightly older brother's Lions. Yeah,
3: right. They're not the was it the Marty Morningwig Lions, or the Rod Marinelli Lions? I think it was Marinelli. Yeah, it, it's not.
4: There's that that image of Dan Orlovsky running out of the back of the end zone like that. You don't see. You're not going to see that from Cody Kessler. No, I mean
3: Hugh Jackson's a good coach. He has nothing to work with right now, and they're another team, kind of like Minnesota, where they've had more than their fair share of injuries. So you, you factor that in. If they were healthier they'd be 1 and 9, 2 and 8. I mean that's how bad the roster is. So This
4: could very easily be a 1 and 9 team, but they're an oddly watchable 0 and 10 team. They are. Like I would rather watch them than like half the Kafka League right now. Like I'd rather watch them than the Ravens. I'd rather watch the Browns than the Jags. I'd rather Okay, let's move on. You you going to be okay? I don't know. We'll find out, I guess. Let's move on.
3: I'll take the Steelers, minus eight. Ravens on the road, taking on Dallas. Dallas favored by seven in this one. Baltimore, uh, one of the better run defenses in the league. I don't think it matters. I think Dallas will run the ball whenever they want against anybody, without exception.
4: Yeah, I think so, too. I think they've shown that. Um, I mean, seven is about right, I guess. I mean, this is not a bad Ravens team by any means. They've shown the ability to, to play with just about any one. Uh, kind of slow the, the game down to their tempo but yeah I mean Dallas is rolling right now the, like the biggest concern with Dallas is like overconfidence at this point right or just kind of uh, you know looking and saying like well they have to lose at some point like do they I don't know I, I think they're they're rolling right now and I think the fact that they've at least publicly uh, settled the, the quarterback situation at least kind of has to bode well right because like if you're Dak Prescott or Tony Romo or anyone else in that locker room no matter what you tell the media like this was something that was looming over the franchise and had been since probably week three or four. And the fact that it's finally, you know, I guess settled, you know, for lack of a better term, like you can just kind of focus on football going forward. It's not this cloud that's hanging over this team anymore.
3: Looking at their upcoming schedule, Ravens on Sunday, Washington in week 12, Minnesota and the giants on the road, back to back weeks, 13 and 14, then Tampa and Detroit at home, 15 Mm -hmm. and 16 at Philly in week 17 of those matchups. I mean, they should be favored in all but maybe the in division road games. I could see them being close to pickups, right. but they should be favored in at least five of those games. And I think they will win at least five of those games. Mm-hmm. So they might be going into the playoffs at 13 and three.
4: Like, if you're Dallas, like, that's almost the worst case, right? I mean, this isn't a, a cupcake schedule the rest of the way by any means. Um, but if they're able to beat Baltimore this week, you know six games left on the schedule. I think you can you can pencil in wins over Tampa and Detroit, and then you know even if the remaining four games Washington, Minnesota, the Giants, and the Eagles are toss ups, and you you win two of those, like you're you're at 13 wins right there.
3: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an easy path to 13 wins, which is something I didn't expect to say about Dallas at any point this year. But
4: how about the NFC East? By the way, like everybody in the NFC East is suddenly pretty competent.
3: Yeah, and the NFC North is a dumpster fire. Right. They've kind of like changed places. They have Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee, Jamie Curtis, Lee Curtis just, yeah. you know, just right in There's it. a topical
4: movie reference. Is it Freaky Friday? I don't if know if I know it, it if is you there, yeah. if you've
3: seen it then it Yeah, that's it one can of uh, be... one of
4: the very few movies that I I own. <laughs> we've
3: talked about that. Yeah. I don't know if we talked about it.
4: They're on a pod accru- or before a pod a bunch of movies that I own.
3: Why do you own that movie? Uh
4: it was it was Bought by someone in my family, Uh, like you know, for some reason I didn't buy it, but I have it.
3: You still own it though, like you still you haven't given. It's been what ten years since you got that movie from someone.
4: Yeah, I mean it's I it's back at my parents' house. When's the last time you watched it? Ooh, that's a good question. It was on TV actually, not that long ago, within the last year. I don't think I watched the whole thing. I don't really watch movies, as you know. Uh, But yeah, I mean it's it's a great movie. I liked it
3: yeah great movie um dallas minus seven you giving up the points you're gonna take the ravens
4: uh take the i'll take dallas to win uh, i think
3: uh baltimore covers seven yeah i think so too i think the ravens are one of those teams they just find a way to hang around even yeah. even when they shouldn't I think dallas wins by three or four yep moving on to the titans and colts a matchup in america's division the highest over under of the week coming from America's Desire. division. What What is this world that we are living in right now? 52.5 is the number. Colts favored by three. If you put them on a neutral field, it would be a pick I think Tennessee's better than Indy. I think the only thing that makes the Colts even remotely interesting right now is Andrew Luck. But I think Tennessee goes in to Indy and actually wins this game. I know they might have that letdown potential coming off a big win over the Packers, but I was really impressed by what Mike Malarkey and company put together last week. I think they can get it done.
4: Yeah, I think so too. I, I think Tennessee looks like more than just a, kind of a fluky team right now. And both of these teams are are coming off of recent blowout wins over Green Bay. Um, so I think you can kind of use that as like a weird measuring stick of like, all right, these teams are both capable of, of killing this Green Bay team in similar ways. Um, I mean, Mariota seems to be kind of doing it all uh, over these last few weeks for Tennessee after a little bit of a slow start. Um, I mean, you still, the thing for me is like they just don't have the weapons on the outside and that concerns me because, I mean, Indianapolis probably has the three best receivers in this game. Um, and Tennessee's been able to make it work without that, and, you know, much credit goes to them for that. Um, but still, I mean, the running game, the, the discrepancy in running games, I think, is what really puts Tennessee over the top for me. And, you know, what DeMarco Murray's been able to do, and, you know, even when he's off the field, just being able to bring in a second running back where, you know, Derrick Henry's not as good as DeMarco Murray, but there's not much of a drop-off there.
3: No, I mean, there's there's enough in Henry's skill set where if Murray were to miss some time, I think Tennessee would still run the ball well enough to do what they want to do offensively. Uh, that said, every time I watch Murray this year, I think to myself, how bad is Chip Kelly, really? Like, he couldn't figure this out. Like, DeMarco Murray is that talented, and the Eagles couldn't run the ball. I know they had some offensive line injuries last year. But I think some of it was scheme, some of it was design, and that does fall on Chip. Uh, As I watched the Titans last week, they really spread the ball around pretty effectively. But the one pass catcher I still like above the others is the tight end, Delaney Walker. If I had to pick one from a DFS perspective, he's the guy I would pair with Mariota on a regular basis because I think his target volume seems to be the most stable of all those options. The receivers, you know, Rashad Matthews is kind of carving out his role as the one, but you got Kendall Wright uh, pushing. Tajay Sharp for targets behind him and I don't think there's that much that separates those two players most weeks.
4: No, not at all. I mean that those are kind of desperation options to me. You know, in the event of, of injuries, like you you really can't make a found, you know, foundational argument that one of those two is gonna be more productive than the other on most weeks. Swag's on the road,
3: uh, taking on the yep. Lions. They're six and a half point underdogs. Your over-under is 47. The last time I stacked Blake Bortles with Allen Robinson, and I think it was Marquise Lee as the third piece, oh, it was my. a disaster, but I'm going to do it what? again because no. why not? You know,
4: if if, if you... If I you give you a lot of reasons why not. Don't. Go ahead, begin. Talk me out of it. I read the other day that Allen Robinson has, I think, 71 yards after the catch on the entire season. That's terrible. Well, you can't catch the um, ball. Blake Bortles can't throw it to you that's true that's Um, not on Allen robinson jaguars are throwing interceptions where players are kicking the ball
3: they're playing the lions
4: that's true battle the big cats that's the thing like there's a lot of big cat pride on the line this week and you know i think this is a jaguars team that's desperately seeking some sort of motivation um i do worry about that like i get kind of like uncomfortable watching the jags because they all like seem to hate each other so much and just like hate the coach and like hate playing football that like it does kind of worry me that something's bad is gonna happen on the field and maybe that was a couple weeks ago when they had two players get ejected and they've just it's it's tough to watch and you know, the Lions the Lions were off last week, right?
3: Yeah, they're rested. Yeah,
4: the Lions were off last week. They're coming in rested. The Jags the last two weeks have been respectable, at least on D and have been able to kind of keep themselves in games that they probably shouldn't have. Um, but but this week I think, you know, going on the road against the Detroit offense, that's been pretty good and you know has golden tate kind of up and running again after these last few weeks uh that worries me a little bit
3: yeah things have changed in detroit where golden tate's the one again marvin jones is the clear two based on the target volume uh those two players have been seeing over the last four or five games now so a a switch from where things were uh where things were at in, in september i look at detroit though as a team much like jacksonville they're so prone to just disappoint you when you think they've finally figured something out Six and a half seems like a pretty big number. Bortles, I think, can throw against the Lions, mostly because Case Keenum did it. And I think Bortles is a little better than Case Keenum, even with the weird <sighs> delivery thing that
4: he's still doing. How, how has no one told him that he's doing it? Have people told him? people that? have told him. He did fly in his quarterback coach, his personal coach, um, a couple weeks ago. He to means, fire him? Yeah. Like, uh, yet you flew him out there just to tell me he's fired no yeah. i i mean i would hope so but i don't think that's what happened um yeah i mean the, like you said the it seems kind of obvious from you know as us being non quarterback coaches just to see a a release like that um it's not really surprising that he's dealt with the accuracy issues that he has especially with the weapons that he has too i mean like he's completely ma- he's made alan hearns a complete non-factor he's made alan robinson look like a, a very average receiver and to be fair robinson's had some drop issues it hasn't been a hundred percent blake portals but it's been like 95 percent blake portals and even marquise lee is like uh, he's like fought Mar- marquise lee has like fought through all of this terribleness to like become a pretty good number three receiver who looks like he could maybe be like a decent number two with a good quarterback
3: yeah marquise lee's a uh, bright light in an otherwise dismal well, season. I would say bright light for He's, the Jags. A light. a light, a small light. Right. Well, all right. So I'm going to take the Jags getting the six and a half. And no. the thing about this Allen Robinson situation is that I was just ripping Ted Thompson for the last year because he took Devontae Adams ahead of Allen Robinson in the draft a couple of years back. Devontae Adams looks good right now. Allen Robinson looks kind of normal. But then if you think about the quarterback play. I think that's where the difference is. Like, I still look at this as a situation where if, if, if Devontae Adams played for the Jags and Allen Robinson played for the Packers, oh. the numbers that Adams has put up would be even better right. under with Robinson in that role. And I think Adams would struggle to match what Robinson's been able to do with Bortles this year
4: yeah that's true i mean a receiver like robinson who has just like insane range you know he's very similar to aj green i think you know where like, the ball doesn't have to be right on target like with Devonte adams it has to be pretty on target and if it is on target he's good at catching the ball and you know running after the catch a little bit more at least this season than he was last year whereas robinson i think like you said he's probably you know he's probably made like borders look even you know a little bit better than he has been and you know, Bortles has been terrible this year, but he might be even worse, I guess, if he doesn't have Robinson you know, making these shoelace catches and you know these acrobatic downfield catches, but still, it's like I've harped on all year. This Jaguars team just doesn't rip off big plays like they did uh, so often last season, and that kind of helped them steal two or three games last year and, and inspire the optimism that uh, is now looking like it was a bit of a fraud. So I may have
3: overlooked this aspect of the move from St. Louis to Los Angeles at the time, but with the Rams in Los Angeles, they play more games in the late block, and the late block is so small. Mm-hmm. If you're watching red zone, you're flipping through games. You're more apt to see a Rams game now than you were before, and that's not a good thing. No, Jared Goff debuting, uh, over, I'm under, over under intrigued over thirty nine and a half. I mean, th- there's nowhere to go but up, I think. But I said the same thing with the Houston passing game when they signed Brock Osweiler. So you you can you can actually underperform to the downside even when the bar is very low. All right, so the Rams are one-and-a-half-point underdogs. Is Todd Gurley going to get going? I mean, is Jared Goff going to be good enough to make defenses respect the
4: passing game at all? I don't think so, right? I mean, they're at least going to make him prove it. And, you know, over the course of a game, I don't know what kind of adjustments you can really make if you're Miami. I mean, I don't think the Dolphins are looking at this situation and saying, like, we're glad Jared Goff is starting. I think, think if anything, it's a lateral move. Um, I think... I think they're just going to play the Rams the way that every other team has, and that's girly first, girly second, girly third, and stack them up and go from there. I mean, the, the Rams want to win these games. I and mean, haven't they won two games this year without scoring a touchdown? Like, ideally, they want to win games like nine to six, and that's <laughs> – you know, that's what they did. Last, didn't they do did that last week?
3: Ideally, Todd Gurley actually can run the ball for them, and they win. Well, at like this point, year, I think they
4: hopefully come to terms with the fact that that's just not happening. Like they, did, the best way for them to win is to win defensively and just like squeak out points wherever they can get them.
3: I saw a trade on Twitter. Somebody said they gave up Todd Gurley to get Jeremy Hill. Would you do that if you were a Gurley owner?
4: It's something you could talk about. I don't think I would do it, but like. It's kind of like a lateral move, right?
3: We should get DJ Trainer in here. He's the owner of Todd Gurley in the Stake League. I, mm-hmm. just, what is it going to take? I'm the owner of Jeremy Hill. Should I just propose the trade and see what happens? Well, let me try to get Todd Gurley first, and then you okay, know, come in and make your you, offer. I'll let
4: you uh, go first, and I'll swoop in.
3: Yeah, you swoop in. I'll talk the,
4: to I'll talk to DJ at lunch. Actually, go go right
3: see. over the top. This will be the topic of the the Guadalajara run for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so Dolphins on the road, giving up a point and a half. I, I, I think the Dolphins are gonna win. I think I'll take them giving up the one and a half. I don't feel strongly about it. I don't feel good about most of these games, so please don't play these games uh based on my advice. But I think Miami wins by maybe a field goal in this matchup. Uh Philly on the road at Seattle, the best I think of the late trio of games that we have. Still don't like watching Philly. No, I don't like watching them either. Seattle's favored by six and a half. Seattle just won at New England. Philly's been, I think, quite a bit better at home than on the road. I think you adjust for a couple of the weaker opponents. They've seen that disparity uh, is even more clear. I think Seattle wins by like 10. Russell Wilson finally looked healthy. Rawls joining CJ Proseis in the backfield. The running game might get going a bit. Doug Baldwin looked really good on Sunday night. Uh, Assuming Jimmy Graham is healthy, I think Seattle will find a way to pick apart Philly.
4: Yeah, I think these are two teams trending in very opposite directions, and Philly, you know, did some did some things to to kind of turn that around, I guess, and beat Atlanta in the the battle of the birds last week. But I think Seattle is, I wouldn't say they're quite back, you know, Seattle type of back, but winning at New England is not something that many teams can do in this league, and I don't think they lucked their way into it by any means. Um, so yeah, I, I think this was a, a bad spot for Philadelphia, you know, as they kind of try to build momentum off that Atlanta win because. Seattle's playing as well as anybody right now, and that they're going to get Thomas Rawls back. They kind of made that bizarre decision to to cut Kristen Michael, but you know at the same time, I, you know how many running backs can you really roster? I guess, and we'll talk about Green Bay in a little bit. But I'm interested to get your thoughts on that pickup for the Packers. Just depth,
3: really. I don't. I don't know. It's a better move than Niall Davis, and it yes. doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to play him a lot. I think it's a lack of confidence in Ty Montgomery as a running back is is what it says the most uh, about for the roster. So I'll take Seattle giving up six and a half. The other question with this game, Ryan Matthews, over 100 yards, two TDs last week against the Falcons. Is he startable this week? I mean, what's the scenario for you to be using Ryan Matthews at Seattle?
4: It's risky, right? I mean, one, it's a bad matchup regardless. You know, I don't feel great about starting anyone against the Seattle defense, uh, let alone someone who had 11 snaps, I think, two weeks ago and then went off last week. I. I mean, he's trending in the right direction. I guess, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel like horrific about you know using Ryan Matthews, but we, he's this coaching staff has just shown that there's so much volatility uh, in terms of who's going to get the snaps week to week. I mean, Darren Sproles has worked his way into this rotation. He seems to kind of you know be factoring into the passing game, especially. Um, but right now, I guess if we're just going week to week, Ryan Matthews is probably the guy in Philly. I'm playing him over Jarek McKinnon, but that's not well. much of
3: an endorsement at this point. I mean, it's. I don't feel great about it. I think this is more of a Sproles matchup where they're going to try to get him out in space, right. try to make a few big plays that way. But Matthews should at least get 12, maybe 14, 15 carries in this game. The problem is if they fall behind, you will see a lot more Sproles than right. Matthews by comparison. Patriots on the road at San Francisco. The Patriots favored by 13 on the road. You don't see a lot of 13-point favorites on the road. Is that enough? Is that enough? I don't even think it matters if Gronk plays or not and expect him to play. I think I'm taking New England giving up the 13 on the road. That's just crazy.
4: I feel like the fact that they lost last week makes me feel more confident that they'll win by more than 13. Yeah, Hoodie coming off a
3: loss. I mean, he's always mad, but there's like a little extra rage in there when they when they lose.
4: Yeah. Uh you know, I think I think this is a, uh, not a great spot for, for the old 49ers. No? I think, they're, I think they played really well last week. Hung around. A lot, a lot better than people thought they would. And, yeah, I, I don't see that being the case two weeks in a row. I, I think New England's not one of those teams that you worry about a loss ever snowballing, like no. ever. And, you know, this is probably the best possible matchup outside of Cleveland for them right now. And, um, you know, I, I really like LeGarrette Blunt in this matchup. I like James White. I, I think... I think New England will try to just have this game over with by halftime.
3: i thinking like 38-10 New England yeah. is the way this one's going to go down. Uh, yeah, I'll give it up to 13. Packers on the road for the Sunday night game. They are in Washington. Redskins favored by three over under is 50. Ty Montgomery, according to many people, is droppable right now. I mean, he barely played. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Starks took over the backfield in a blowout. Would have had more than 10 touches, I think, if that game were close. Kristen Michael comes in. Michael doesn't catch passes. Starks does. So at the the very worst for Starks, he's in a timeshare where he's getting passing downs and probably a handful of carries on top of that. But I feel like it's going to take Michael at least a week or two to get up to speed in the offense to the point where the Packers actually trust him to carry the ball more than two or three times. I mean, the Nile Davis thing, it might be apples and oranges because they're different players with different skill sets, but joining a team midweek And learning the offense on the fly is something that's actually pretty difficult.
4: Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, we saw. I think we were kind of in the same spot with Niall Davis, where you know a few weeks ago, uh, I think it was pre Bears game, the Thursday night game, they signed him. Like, you know, everybody's frantically doing research on Niall Davis, and like, is this guy worth picking up? Is he going to get a bunch of carries? And he ends up dressing for that game, and I don't did he even carry the ball? I I think he got on the field for a couple snaps, like. It's unfair to expect someone to to pick up an entire system and especially to like take the lead back role. So, I mean, maybe in a couple of weeks we we can talk about Kristen Michael as a, as a decent option alongside Starks. Um, but I, I think for this week, I I do like Starks quite a bit.
3: I mean, if you think he's got skills, stash him away. Just yeah. don't play him right now. As far as Washington goes, they may get Deshaun Jackson back. Uh, that would certainly help. I think they're a much better team at home than on the road. Many teams are like that. And yet there's still something about them I don't fully trust. I don't know what exactly it is. Maybe maybe it's Kirk Cousins. Maybe it's it's the Dan Snyder stench on the know, franchise. Yeah, I
4: don't know what it is. I, I, I want to ask about the Packers. Like you, you were able to watch last week's Packers game. I was traveling and I had to kind of catch up later. But do you get the feel that McCarthy's job is safe for the rest of the season no matter what? Or like if they come out flat for a third straight game and are trailing big in the third quarter for a third straight game, like would they actually make that move?
3: Ted Thompson is so ultra conservative with everything he does from a business decision standpoint. Mm -hmm. I would be stunned if he fired McCarthy before the end of the regular
4: season. Ray Rhodes didn't get fired mid season, did he? No, he was end of the season.
3: Yeah, he got one year because.
4: And even that seemed drastic, but that was that was a quick hook. That was a rough time for the Packers because he was right after Sherman, right? I thought it was Holmgren, Rhodes, Sherman. Or was it Holmgren? Rhodes? I thought Rhodes was was or, uh, was, McCarthy.
3: was McCarthy directly. At,
4: man, my my mind is just crumbling. Well, okay, so Rhodes was the Packers coach in '99. McCarthy didn't take over in 2000. Oh, he? I thought, man, I thought Ray Rhodes. I think was, it was
3: Holmgren, Much more Rhodes. recent than that, but yeah, you yeah. Were, are, are people on the internet going to start uh, clamoring for Holmgren to come back and, and what if coach they this start team? Start clamoring for Ray Rhodes. He's only 66. No, nobody, nobody in Green Bay <laughs> wants Ray Rhodes back.
4: Yeah, I mean, the Holmgren thing is like he's kind of like the Pat Riley of. Of Packers, you know, of like NFL, where or like Phil Jackson, I guess, in some ways, where I I was only like what eight years old, I guess, when they fired Holmgren. Like, what was the reasoning behind that? Just like layover, they felt they should have done better after winning, or what?
3: I think the problem at the time, and I was I was pretty young when it happened too. I thought the problem was that he wanted more control over personnel decisions, and the weird thing was they eventually gave that to Mike Sherman. Mm He wanted to, he wanted some GM responsibilities. Like a
4: Jason Kidd like, coup situation?
3: Yeah, it was just kind of like that. And the Packers weren't going to give him the job that he wanted. I think Seattle did give him some control over personnel, and that was the difference. And then with Sherman, he, of course, drafted like B.J. Sander in the third round because that's... you
4: just got to draft punters in the third round. That's what head Eric. coaches
3: do sometimes yeah. when they're GMs, I guess. Uh, look, I, I still don't have... I still don't have an overwhelming amount of doubt about this team. I just have an increasing amount of doubt. Like I, I'm, I'm giving well, to the point. Well, that's the
4: thing. When you have Aaron Rodgers... You, 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 you have, you it have it a chance,
3: right. but the fact that McCarthy has been so unwilling to change the scheme... I think Randall Cobb's hamstring is still a problem, too. He just doesn't look quite right.
4: I thought he looked right when he was in the game. But, you know, they didn't Rodgers was missing him. They didn't put him in the game until late.
3: Well, yeah, and the, the Indy debacle right. two weeks ago was a mess, too it's still there it just needs to be finely tuned and mccarthy's not making enough adjustments i'll take washington giving up the three i hate to do it but i i just think we're gonna see more of the same from the packers again this week
4: i think so too um but yeah i mean like i said it's you just always you kind of have to remain somewhat optimistic when you have Rodgers. you know that just knowing what he's capable of and knowing what the some of the skill position players on this team are capable of like it's It'd be kind of stupid to write write the Packers off, especially with how the rest of this division is playing. But, I mean, at what point? I mean, like, how many more weeks of just like horrific all around football do you have to see before it's just like, all right, they just don't have it this year? I mean, Rogers, I think after last week is now the least accurate deep ball thrower according to Pro Football Focus in the entire NFL among Sweet. qualified players. Like, it's, things like that. Like, it's not it's not just flukes. No,
3: it's not. And if it's an injury or if it's just something. Between the years, or whatever, whatever it is, I, I, I don't know if there's something wrong with Rodgers. He doesn't look right, but the offense looks exactly the same mm-hmm. as it has for the last four or five years. Teams adjust, and the Packers haven't made their adjustments to counteract that just yet. Uh, Houston on the road at Oakland for the Monday night game. Not a bad well, not Monday at night Oakland. game. In Mexico. In Technically Mexico. a home game for Oakland in Mexico. a yeah,
4: raucous environment.
3: It will be. Uh, Oakland favored by 6.5, so that's a pretty big line. I got
4: 5.5 here, but yeah, either way that seems kind of high.
3: Vegas not really buying into Houston at this point, but why would they? Brock Osweiler
4: right. in another country? I, well, yeah, there's that. I mean, that, that alone is, is its own story. I mean, they might be the worst 6-3 and three team like ever. Right? I mean, with some of the wins that they have, like they just keep beating bad teams and losing to good teams. I'd...
3: You got to do some research. Since the merger, who are the worst Ooh. six and three teams?
4: Oh, I mean, this is kind of subjective, though, right? Well, How no. did they beat the Chiefs, by the way? How?
3: Smoke and mirrors.
4: I don't get it. I, Drugs? I mean, they barely squeaked by the Jaguars with Osweiler throwing for like 97 yards last week, uh, which says much more about the Jaguars than the Texans. But I mean, if Oakland wins this game, they're. I think they're going to become an, a national story. I think to some degree they're kind of creeping toward that already. But I don't know if the casual fan realizes quite how good this Oakland team is.
3: Oakland by double digits. They're they're way better than Houston. This is this the is going to be is still decent though. It's okay, but it's I th-
4: Oakland wins. I think Oakland wins comfortably, but it's not it's not like a complete blowout throughout.
3: They've got balance. They can run it pretty well. They've got weapons in the passing game. Carr is at least decent at quarterback. I mean, they can do everything you need to do to be a good team. Six and a half is a big number. I think they still cover it.
4: Okay, you've you have have no
3: confidence in them, or what?
4: No, I do. I I just I don't. I mean, the Texans are six and three. I mean, like I just said, they might be the worst six and three team ever. But they still kind of find ways to scrap these wins together. And you know, their defense, like I said, I I think is is good enough to to prevent Oakland from completely running away with this. Like I'll I'll say Raiders like. Twenty-seven to like twenty-one.
3: Okay, so that's a that's a barely it's barely a non-cover depending right. on the line. All right, let's right, turn around the line. Well, at six and a half, I'll still take the Raiders. I just think they're a okay. lot better than Houston. It's kind at this of fun point. to have
4: the Raiders back. It's been a long time. It's been a really basically long time. been like my entire lifetime. Yeah, you even seen a good Raiders well, team no, before? The Gannon team, I guess, what was that 03? Yeah, that they got, early two thousand. Got smoked yeah. by Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl in the Gruden Bowl. Yeah, yeah, it was in the
3: Gruden Bowl. Yeah,
4: yeah, it was one good. Oakland that was kind team. of their last good year, right? I think Gannon like tore his ACL or something like early the next season, and they went four and twelve. And he was pretty the... old when they when he had that great season too. Who was coaching them in that Super Bowl? Was it Callahan? Because mm, they had fired Gruden, yeah. right? And then Gruden went to Tampa and immediately brought them to the Super Bowl. I think it might have been Bill Callahan. I think it was.
3: Wow, we're learning all sorts of great future Nebraska
4: today. head man. How that that worked out great, didn't it? That was a tough time for Nebraska football.
3: Yeah, it that was, was. kind
4: of they, you know. I mean, at least they, they somehow parlayed that into getting into the Big Ten. It's a gift, right? It it's, really was. It's
3: a gift. It's going to wrap things up for the Thursday episode of the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. Tim and I are back with you on Friday.